apps can do a lot of cool things. You could order dinner, gamble on your favorite team, and track your health. You could even get a mortgage. One click and you can be approved. I'm not sure by who or what country they're in. You deserve more from the mortgage industry. At AnyMac Home Mortgage, we believe in the need for live human interaction during a very complex process. The kind of service and guidance which an app simply can't provide. Our customers are more than credit scores and income documents. They're individuals and families who live in and strengthen our communities. Their story is our story, and that story begins in a home. Chris Sawyer is an expert on providing superior customer service and in meeting the mortgage needs of current and future home buyers. With over 18 years of experience in the industry, Chris is able to help customers migrate through the home buying and home financing process by using his wealth of knowledge as a well-qualified mortgage professional. And best of all, Chris is located in Cromwell, Connecticut, where he has helped hundreds of clients in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island make their dreams of home ownership a reality. Visit chrissawyer.annie-mac.com, email him at csawyer at annie-mac.com, or give him a call, 860-878-8730. Chris Sawyer, NMLS number 39345, corporate NMLS number 338923, Mac Home Mortgage, an equal housing lender, American Neighborhood Mortgage Acceptance Company, LLC, DBA, Mac Home Mortgage, Lo-Fi Direct, Connecticut First Mortgage Correspondent, License Lender, Broker Number, ML 338923, Massachusetts Mortgage Lender, and Mortgage Broker License Number, MC 338923, Rhode Island License Lender, License Number 2011280L, call for additional details. Jones on first down, wide open, it's Barkley, and Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley, he's great when he's on the field, but the problem is, since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. Look at this, they lob it to him, he taps it in off the glass. How about that? Porter Moser, I think right now, is the best coach of college basketball, hands down. Finns, two for three, he's done his part. Is drilled the deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball because the Yankees are not, they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the race, and the race do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. Welcome to Sports Talk with RJ. I'm Steve Risser, along here with Justin D'Onofrio. And it happened on Monday night. UConn won their fifth national championship in program history. They beat San Diego State 76-59, to a dominant run in this tournament. They won every game by double digits. And uh, what a run for Dan Hurley. Justin, you're the big UConn fan, so I'm going to get your thoughts first on the national championship win on Monday. Yeah. Um, five years ago, never thought that UConn would ever be back on the stage for how down, for how down in the abyss they were. Um, yeah, Monday night, another stroll there, you know, San Diego State hit some tough shots there early on, you know, very contested, but then after that, they held on, you know, San Diego State went 11 minutes without hitting a field goal. You kind of, kind of settled in, um, San Diego State's kind of game plan there was trying to attack the paint and that did not work at all. And, you know, with Klingon and Sonogo been so good down low lately, you know, they're in their offense, you know, kind of got worried there late in the second half when San Diego State cut to five Hawkins hits that huge shot. And that was pretty much the ball game right there to get it back up to eight. You know, this whole kind of tournament, they blew everybody out, you know, and, you know, and the last three games, they held each of their opponents under 50 points. The last team to do that, and the only other team to do that, you know, since the expansion 85 was the 2014 UConn team. So, you know, I know some people say, oh, you kind of kind of got lucky with the run and all and some of the draws in the year, but they blew out everybody they faced. And this looked like the team that we saw in November, December, where they blew out Alabama, where they blew out Iowa State, you know, out in Portland. They, you know, they it was just a dominant effort. Um, and again, Hurley built a fantastic team that and I think, you know, and that that's a tough part nowadays with the portal and so much movement. He built the right type of guy, you know, he got the right type of guys for his system that bought into the, you know, that bought into their roles. They didn't complain. And the rush collection was great and they fit together. He, the, the pieces fit tremendously together and, you know, he, huge credit to him and, and the rest of that staff. Cause um, you know, this, this team, this, no, nobody was really, really able to figure out this team outside of Biggie's play. Yeah, and I think you talk about them, people saying they got lucky because they really didn't face a lot of top teams in the tournament. But if you watch this team at the beginning of the season, especially when they were out in uh, when they were out in Oregon, 
they blew Alabama out. They beat Alabama by 15 points. They beat Iowa State, a tournament team, by 18 points. So we, as UConn fans, we saw this coming. We saw that if this team gets into the tournament, this team has got a great chance to win a championship. We said we said this after Thanksgiving. I knew after Thanksgiving this team was absolutely a national championship contender. And I even thought that when they were struggling in the Big East. Now, my concern was was Hurley in close games. And that's why I didn't pick them to win because I was because I that loss to Marquette really kind of my loss to Marquette was was big in my decision for the, for not picking them to win the national title because I didn't trust Hurley in close games. Now I felt like that was a game that they were the better team against Marquette, and that was a game I felt like they should have won. But luckily for them in but but for them I don't want to say luckily, but for them in this tournament, they were so dominant that they didn't have to win close games. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, you know. Yeah, they blew out everybody again. You know, this team was now two points I own to go in the half in the first round. And it was kind of like, oh boy, you know, is this the third straight year? UConn's going home in the first round. But yeah, they were bounced back. They blew out Iowa in the second half. And yeah, it just seems like, the, you know, yeah, the, the hurling close games. Again, I, you know, yeah, it's the record's not great. It's like five and 38 with five points or less. It's not great. But yeah, they didn't need to, they, you know, that they didn't, you know, they blew everybody out, so it didn't matter at the end anyways. But, yeah, just the way – but I thought he did a good job because after halftime was kind of right when they started to kind of find their form, and mo- especially early on, you know, in the tournament. It was after halftime. They kind of found it. They made the right adjustments. He does run a, real, a lot of really good sets, and I think that you don't really know. I think, you know, especially in turn with a short turnaround, I don't think – unless have you seen it, I don't think coaches really know what to, what to expect. Like, I think Mark View was like – I. You know, like, good luck planning for 48 hours, you know. Um, I think Randy Bennett kind of said, kind of said, like, the same thing. It's like, you know, just good luck on a short turnaround to try to plan to stop this team because it, it, it is tough when you don't see it because, again, anybody can go off at any given moment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you could have, you know, Sonogo, Hawkins, Jackson. Uh, you got Calcaterra who could hit three-point shots. Uh, Newton. Uh, uh, even Klingon playing well off the bench. Yeah, anybody, yeah, pretty much anybody can go off at any moment. And, you know, facing this team, yeah, in the Big East, they kind of, your teams kind of knew what they were. And then, you know, but when they played out of conference, not only did they win every game out of, outside of the Big East, they won every game by double digits outside of the Big East. Yeah, yeah. The closest one was Oklahoma State, with David, and that was a 10 point game. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 and even in their wins in the Big East, like their closest win all year was six points against Georgetown, you know, right before Christmas. Like everything else was, you know, they won by more. So, yeah, they didn't really, you know, when they won games, they kind of won, won games handily this year. And, yeah, you know, again, that's, you know, the teams kind of stro- – or in the Big East, yeah, I think teams kind of knew Hurley, kind of know what tendencies he likes to run. And even with the team, they, you know, but it's such a physical league. It was tough. Like the Xavier Province back-to-back was tough. You know, like that, the month of January was a pretty tough schedule for him. But yeah, they they figured it out and again. It was the defense back in January that was really suffering. And again, as I just mentioned, you know, their last Miami, you know, they held to a season low. Gonzaga, they held to a season low. That Gonzaga team averaged eighty nine points a game. You know, they held them in the fifties. Like this, you know, like the, the defense, they really figured out the defense. But again, it helps when you got a guy like Klingon and just absolutely bothers everybody when he gets inside the paint. And it helps Kevin come off the bench too, so it keeps Sonogo yeah. fresh as well. Yeah, it definitely, yeah. definitely helps come, have him come off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point because last year he 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 wore down at the end of last year. He you know he did not have much left in that tank of that New Mexico State game because yeah he was playing thirty five minutes a game last year. There yeah he didn't have much left, especially him too because that dude plays so hard every set. That guy doesn't have you know he's always in fourth gear like he you know he he you know so yeah for Sonogo it really helped him this year that. They did have a clean behind him. He could get more rest, especially late too. Cause again, he was playing around, you know, during Ramadan. He was fasting most days. I know for the final four, he's I think he was able to eat a little bit for the game. But during that the sweet 16 weekend, again, that's gotta be tough playing a game that big and you can't eat or drink until you know halftime or even after me for the sweet 16 game. So it really helped that, yeah, they had clean behind Sonogo this year. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and, and there were two kind of turning points of the season. I think one of them was that Xavier game because even though that Xavier game was a loss, I felt like they they they, they almost won it, and I felt like that turned things around. That started that started their winning streak. That 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 started their streak. That started that started them winning like you know winning nine out of their last eleven going into the tournament. So I think that's that start that was the start of something. And then I think the game that gave everyone hope again that they could win a national championship was that Marquette game 
when they had the best team of the Big East come into come into the XL Center and they beat them by 15 points. That day, I felt like things were starting to turn around. Things were this is this is this team is back to what they were when they were when they were playing in Oregon uh, in in November. Yeah, absolutely. That Xavier game. Yeah, being at that game in that second half, that was the loudest I can remember ever hearing Gamble. I know, like everyone says, the 06 against Texas. I wasn't at that game, but that that Xavier second half, that comeback, that was the loudest I've heard that place in a long time. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one because the second half, yeah, they kind of figured some things out. I felt like, you know, especially offensively. Um, and then, yeah, that Marquette game, they got out to like that 20 to two start. They, they you know, they, they handled them from start to finish. And yeah, you know, I'm with you. Like that game kind of was like, all right, you know, this team's got a chance here um, to go on the run. You know, the first 30 minutes of Providence, the game at the guard or yeah, at the guard in the first round, it kind of felt like, all right, this, you know, like this team looked great, but then. But then they started reverting back to some of their old their old habits from the middle of the season. And then the Marquette game, they played pretty well, but Hurley not calling the timeout. They started to revert back to things that 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 hurt them in the past as well. But in this tournament, they were just were absolutely dominant and didn't need didn't even need. I mean, yeah, I say the the game on Monday night was close at it was close in the second half, but they made the big plays before it got really close at the end. Like like uh, Hawkins hit that humongous three, and at that point, I had a great feeling that they were going to win. Yeah, when Hawkins hit that three, it was kind of a sigh of relief. Like, all right, they're going to find a way. And that's what UConn guards have done over the years in the tournament. They've, you know, they've been cold-blooded. And then Hawkins delivered another one, which is awesome. Yeah, you know, San Diego State kind of held around, kind of, you know, kept fighting there. They didn't go away. And that's kind of what San Diego State does. They're down 14 Saturday night against Florida Atlantic. You know, like that that team doesn't go away. And, yeah, they, they, they fought for as long as they could. They just didn't have enough offensive firepower to just keep up and, you know, UConn just again. UConn most of the night just made each of each of San Diego's shots just you know tough ones contested. They did a great job defensively, not get, really giving them anything easy, and that's what they did most of the tournament. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They did. They did. Yeah, they did a phenomenal job defensively. You you even said it. They held. I think they held every team under sixty points. Just did, did an absolutely phenomenal job defensively, just all tournament long. It was, or you know, they may have. I think Arkansas scored sixty four, so held everyone under sixty five points. So. Did a, just a phenomenal job defensively, just just all tournament long. But we got to get to the coach, and that's Dan Hurley. And right now, the big question is: is where do you put him? With how do you rank him within the coaches in college basketball? Do you put him top five? Do you put him top ten? In my opinion, I think he's top ten. I think the only coaches right now you put ahead of Dan Hurley in college basketball, obviously Bill Self, two national titles. I think you have to put Self ahead. Uh, Tom Izzo, he's been won a national title, but he's been to a bunch of Final Fours. Rick Pitino, he's won two national titles and he did a really good job at Iona, and we'll see what he does at St. John's. Uh, Scott Drew, he won a national title, and he rebuilt a program that was that was a disaster. That was a, you probably know how big of a disaster that program was. Oh, yeah. took it over. Yeah, that's another story for another day. You could probably mm-hmm. just talk about that. But that program was a disaster before before he, he got there, and he and he did he built them into a national champion. And then I hate to say the last one, but I think you just have to say John Calipari. I know Calipari. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's a, a great coach, but. With all the great, with all the iconic coaches that have left, Roy Williams, uh, Jay Wright, and, and Coach K, you probably have to put him in the top five because of how great of a recruiter he was, and he did win a national title. So I do put Calipari, but those are the only five I put ahead of Dan Hurley. I have him as a top ten coach. I think you arguably could say, with the way he rebuilt this program, he's a top five coach. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to put him because, yeah, as you mentioned, there's only six active coaches that have won a title. You know, there's, you know, and those they, are the ones know, I they, mentioned. Those are all yeah, the ones. Yeah, the only one. The only one he did it was uh, Tony Bennett at Virginia. That was the only other one. Yeah, he but had the, other the, five. Pro- the problem with Tony Bennett is he's been good so many years, and he's ha- and he has one national title, and he plays this same style all the time. He never adjusts. He plays this same style, yeah. and he gets up and he's and he get, and he gets he, he gets upset in the first round of the tournament. You saw this year. You saw yeah. back in 2018. He's one of the few. He's one of two. He's only one of two coaches that was a one seed and lost to a 16 seed. So it's hard for me to put Tony Bennett ahead of Dan Hurley. No. I hear you. No, and I, I and he's like right there. Yeah, I put him top five, top ten. I think Bennett's a very good X and O coach, but yes, in this era with the three point shooting, like their pack line defense does not really stop teams from hitting threes. Like it's more of kind of protect the paint, protect the middle, the floor, and that's kind of their problem. And yeah, th- he needs NBA guys, and they don't have, they didn't have any in that roster. That that's that's kind of the problem with Bennett. But yeah, going back to Hurley, yeah, you got to put him top five, top ten, because yeah, I have to put. Those cool, even though I'm not a big, as you know, Cal Perry, I'm not even a big Izzo guy. I just, 
you're not gonna like that. I like I compare him to Jim Bam 2.0. Like I, really, wow. He's got one title in 25, 30 Yeah, years but ago. look at how many Final Fours he's made. He's made like yeah, six or seven Final Fours. You can't run into a second one. I know, I know, I know, I know. I get it. But a lot of those big games, was he the better team? Was he the better team against North Carolina? Was he going to win that national title against North Carolina? No. Was he the yeah. better team against Duke in 2015? No. So some, And was he the better team against Duke in 99? No. So a lot of those times, was he the better team against Carolina in 05? No. So a lot of times in those final fours, he didn't even have the better team. Yeah, the one game which was an issue was the one against Butler. The one he should have won. He, mm-hmm. he should have gotten back to the finals in 2010. He should have beaten Butler. Yeah. I'll give you that. But a lot of those times in the final four, he didn't have the better team. No, I guess he doesn't. Usually when he makes a run, it's his teams are six, seven, five. Usually it's when his teams are like top four seeds, they get upset early. That like he usually it seems like his though, it's like his he he does better when his team's more of the underdog than they are the favorite. You know, I, I don't know if it's more just relaxed. I don't I don't know what it is, but yeah, you know, some of it's when his team go on a run, yeah, they're usually not the better team, it feels like. Um, but look, yeah, it's just gotta be up there. You know, there's only six others, so I got to put him in the top ten. You know, like, look, I, poor Moore is really sure that Oklahoma, I really like him. I think he's one of the best X's and O's coach, but you can't win there. You know, there there's some other guys, like, that are, like, at mid-major levels that I really like, but, like, I, I'm not going to put them in the top ten, top fifteen. But, you know, if they go somewhere else and, and kind of win, yeah, I'll put them up there. But, yeah, he's got to be considered the top ten, top fifteen. Again, People rave about him in the industry, and I see it. Like, he runs some really good offensive stuff. He's kind of admitted that he's got to stop with the referees. You know, and I, it, that's that's the big issue is he's got to worry about his team and not the officials, and I think he's done a better job of that. I think even Calhoun kind of said, because he is kind of like Calhoun in the stubbornness. But, yeah. again, you could be stubborn, but you do have to adjust. You do have to make changes. It doesn't make you less and Calhoun just, made And Calhoun made changes. Yes. Yes, and I think Hurley's starting to do a better job of that. Like, I think at times he, at times last year, he never trusted his bench at all. He just wear down his five starters. So he didn't trust anybody on that bench. At times this year, he will trust some of the guys off the bench. Oh, know, he definitely because, did with, with Calcaterra, with Klingon, with Aline. Mm-hmm. He definitely trusted those guys off the bench. Yeah, so like, I think we're seeing Danny grow. And now that he's won that championship and kind of the monkey now can be off his back, maybe he is more relaxed in tighter games. Maybe he does kind of execute more because again, when he's nuts at the end of games, that's your team's going to react to how your coach is. That's the thing. And, you know, that's kind of the one big concern I, I've always had with him. But again, hopefully now that the champion, he's won it. Now, hopefully he kind of get that off his back. And hopefully, you know, there's some improvement in that. But yeah, I think Hurley's starting to get better. And I, I do, I have seen him change. And I, I like that he's kind of hopefully done fighting with the officials so much. Yeah, and I think if he can get to that, if he could, you know, get better in close games and then maybe win another national title in the next five years, he'll get to that, you know, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, Rick Pitino, Scott Drew. He'll get to that level because I don't think he's – I think he's very good. I don't think he's great yet, but if he wins another one and, he, he, you know, he gets better in close games, I think he definitely will get to that great level. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think he absolutely will. And, you know, he's got a great staff behind him too with Tom Moore, Kiami Young, and uh, Luke Murray who both. Should probably get head coaching jobs. I again, I would love to see them on the staff for as long as possible. But I think at some point those two are going to leave, and I think both of them are very good. And Moore's got a you know head coaching experience and was with Calhoun, so I think it helps that he's got a great staff around him too. But yeah, you know, I think he's doing a good job. Yeah, you know, if he can win one more, which yeah, in the next five to ten years, which the class has got coming in next year, and Hurley's relentless on the recruiting trail. His assistants are as well. I know Kiami Young, you know, Young and Murray are two of the best assistant recruiters in the country. So, you know, they're really, like they're gonna continue to get top. And the thing is, too, the way Hurley knows the guys he wants, he you know, and again, he, you know, and I think the the in the last point too is in this day and age where because Danny's more old school, but you could be old school if you show the players that you love and you care about them, then the players are going to be okay with you being old school. I think sometimes some of these coaches don't understand it, don't build that relationship. And, and, and that's where you and cause that, problems. And that was the problem with like Knight and Bayheim. I think especially yeah. Knight at the end of his, end of his time was he, he did, it didn't seem like he really cared that much about the, he was old school, but didn't seem like he cared as much about the players. It was more about him. Same with Bayheim. I think it was the same way. I think Hurley's old school, but I think he, as he's learned from his father, who was an out, one of the, I think the best high school mm-hmm. coach of all time. 
he is his team is a family. He cares about his players. That's why I think he Hurley could be old school, but I think this is really going to work because he cares about the players and the players definitely it definitely shows with shows it definitely shows that the players care about him too. Yeah, absolutely, they do. And he get he's like a giant he's like a giant kid, anyways. You know, you saw him <laughs> tossing up the confetti like he's a kid. Like he yeah, acts yeah, like yeah. he's a kid, and I think yeah. you can relate to him. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge help. And yeah, you mentioned Bayheim Knight. Yeah, I think those are two problems. You know, sometimes you know, again, I think maybe Izzo maybe a little bit trending towards and your that. and your football coach is starting to trend that way. We'll get to that though. Oh yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that you know that too's not helping things. Yeah, it's just you, you got to evolve. And you know, I think Hurley's done, he's done an unbelievable job of that. And he just he knows he can identify his guys. He knows how to he knows what guys he wants, and um, those guys buy in for him. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And you talk about the recruiting and how great the recruiting class is. And UConn has uh, Stefan Castle, one of the top recruits, coming in next year. The big question is, is should UConn be the favorite to win it all next year? You saw ESPN's way too early top 25. They have UConn number one. And really, Jacks, I mean, Jordan Hawks is the only guy we know is going to be gone. Andrew Jackson might come back, and I think he should. He needs to become a better scorer and a better shooter. I think he needs to come back. Sanago, there's a chance he could come back. And you even said there might even be a possibility Newton might even come back too. Mm-hmm. And then, and but he might not even start because this cat, the Stefan Castle guy, is a top 15 recruit. He's supposed to be phenomenal. You're probably going to have Klingon back as well. You're going to have Kirbin back. So, should this UConn team be the favorite to win it all next year? In my opinion, I think they should be. Do you think they are? Yeah, they should be. Again, with the transfer portal and so many different. You know, moving out. You know, like there's already 1,500 kids in the portal. Like, you know, you could build a that like St. John's, I think is going to be the top 25 preseason. They're not right now. People don't have them, but when Rick Pitino gets his guys, they will absolutely be a top 25 team. I'd say them Marquette people put Duke and I see why, because they have another amazing class, but like, I, I don't know. And it sounds like maybe Phil Kowski may save for second year, but yeah, I think UConn's going to be right there with Marquette. Um, Cause yeah, with that class, he's got to come in again. This kid, the center, who I thought was going to be more a project, um, you say um, Syndergaard, he's playing o- overtime elite. He's averaging a double-double. And those are all kids that are mostly going pro. And he's dominating. You know, so, you know, Jalen Stewart, I, you know, another kind of freaky, athlete, you know, freak athletically. Like, the, the class he's got coming in, absolutely. And, yeah, Newton's got one year. He's got the COVID year if he wants it. But yeah, I think Sonogo's gone. I think Hawkins is pretty much gone. I saw Klingon go in a mock draft in the first round. That is, I don't, that is a, I don't think he should be going. I mean, he had a really good no. year, but he can't, he can't shoot at all. So he, there's no. no, he couldn't even, he couldn't even shoot in high school. So there's no way he should be going. Or that would be a huge mistake for him to go to the NBA draft and not play next year at UConn. No, I mean, I don't think he will because I don't think he's in a rush to get out of here. Like, he's friends with Rosa. Like, he's from Brisbane. Like, I don't think he's in a rush to leave UConn. Like, I, I don't, you know, again, he's, I don't know what the NIL stuff is, but I, I have to imagine he's getting a good chunk of NIL just being a hometown kid. I have to imagine. So, yeah, I don't think he's in a rush. I think he'll be here for at least one more year. He took three during warmups, and he's got a pretty good stroke, you know, from what I've seen. I'd so like maybe to see that stroke next, next year. year. I really would like yeah. to see that stroke next year. Yeah. You know, I so I think we will. I think he's gonna be more dominant. Edie could. I really do because I think he's already a better player. Than oh Zach yeah, Edie oh yeah. Edie couldn't shoot at all. That's why Purdue no. was what went out in the first round. No. Edie could not. Edie couldn't shoot. So teams could double him and kick it out. To, and he had to kick it out to the guards, and the guards couldn't shoot at all in that FDU game. Yeah, I think he's gonna be more dominant than Edie, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And he runs the floor so well for guys seven foot two. Like it, it, he runs the floor really, really well. So, yeah, I, I think clean comes back. I think this team's going to be right there. It's one of the favorites, and then they should be. You know, they, they're going to be right there. We'll we'll see what I think, you know, what is it like the last nine, ten years? I don't think uh, the the um, the last year's champion has – I don't think he's gotten out of the um, – you know, I, I think the far as they've gone is like a sweet 16. Like, it, it, you know, so we'll see, you know. You know, we'll see what they're able to do. But, yeah, they should be one of the preseason favorites – come next november it's going to be a fun team to watch and uh you know a lot of excitement right now and you know hurley's gonna uh hurley's got this thing home and and it's the right time too with everybody else coming the big east coaching wise absolutely absolutely now the final question is 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 uconn a blue blood 
This has been the question for a while. Is UConn a blue blood program like Kentucky, like Duke, like North Carolina, like even Indiana, which if they're going to call it, consider Indiana a blue blood, they better be considering UConn a blue blood because the last title Indiana won was back in 1987. That was 36, that was 30, 36 years ago. I mean, so if they're going to consider Indiana a blue blood. They better consider UConn a blue blood. And I think UConn is a blue blue blood because over since Calhoun's taken over over the last thirty years, they've been really successful. Because even before they won national championships with Calhoun, they got to a couple of lead eights. We remember nineteen ninety when they lost at the buzzer with Christian Leitner. Remember ninety five when uh, they lost to uh, they lost to UCLA, and that team ended up winning the national title. Mm-hmm. And then ninety six, they had that legendary game with uh, with uh, with with Allen Iverson and Ray Allen. That was a legendary Big East tournament final between those two teams. And then 98, the year before they won the title, they got to the Elite Eight too. So they got to like three Elite Eights before they even won a national title in 99. And then they win it in 99. They win it in uh, 2004. And they very easily, sh- and they should have won it in 2006 or should have at least yeah. gotten to the Final Four in 2006. That team was loaded with Marcus Williams and Josh Boone and and uh, and Hilton Armstrong. That team was loaded. And Rashard Anderson, that team was loaded. So they, they should have gotten to a Final Four that year. They got to a Final Four in 09 and probably would have gotten to the championship game if Jerome Dyson was healthy. And then 11 they won. 014 they won. Yes, they had that bad run. I think part of that, you know, and I think that's where the question is. That's where people question you kind of as a blue blood is that 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 run they had and, and them going, you know, seven years without a tournament win. But I think the big reason for that was they got out of the Big East. And the other reason was they probably had one of the worst coaches mm-hmm. to ever win a national title in Kevin Allen. And he yeah. proved that knowing how far that program sunk uh, in 2018. When that program hit rock bottom in 2018, you, you, he, Kevin Alley pretty much proved why he was one of the worst coaches to win it all. But Hurley, getting back in the Big East, which was huge. We talked about that last week, bringing this program back. So for me, I think UConn absolutely is a blue, blue blood. Oh, yeah, they, they absolutely are. And I thought even if they – even before this run, I thought they were still a blue blood. They've won four times. They had four, you know, now it's been five in the last 24 years that they've yeah, won. Yeah, I, the mean, I mean, the thing is, is now that this one, this one is a little bit more relevant because if you talk about the four, you're kind of living in the past. It'd be kind of yeah. like talking about the Yankees, 27 championships, the Patriots, six Super Bowls. You're kind of living in the past, past because Hurley had nothing to do with the, with the four national titles. That was Calhoun. But this, this now, this national title, this is now completely relevant and this gives and this gives Hurley a ton of credibility and I think this program is clearly a blue blood yeah because you think about it the last three coaches have all won a title now you uh, know, even though like, even though one of those coaches a lot of that 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 second one that fourth one was very a lot of those were Jim Calhoun's players they were it's a bad neighbor you know what I somebody sent me this he actually congratulated UConn on Twitter I mean on Instagram he had really a post did? yeah so did, 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 all, he, did he post something? I didn't see if Ali posted. Ali, yeah, posted something about you know congratulations oh, really? wow. to the guys. So yeah, wow, so, wow, wow. Maybe, maybe that one guy realized like maybe it was time. I don't know. Yeah, but hopefully maybe at some point, you know, next year will be interesting with the ten year team. If, yeah, exactly. If he shows up for that, that'll be interesting. But um, you know, going back, I, I you know, you kind of should be because there's only three other schools that have had you know um that have won three national titles titles at least with three different coaches that's yeah, North Carolina and Kentucky yeah and the funny you thing know. with Kentucky is it's kind of similar though because when Tubby Smith won his title in 98 that pretty much was that pretty much was Rick Patino's team yeah. so it's kind of yeah. similar UConn's th- winning with three different coaches and Kentucky winning with three different coaches pretty similar North Carolina it's different because oh, they're so fu- they're so spread out because it was 57 I think Carolina won 57 uh 80, uh, 80, 82, 93, 05, 09, and 017. So that, that those those were all – that was Roy Williams' teams. Those were Dean Smith's teams. Those were Frank McGuire's teams. But Kentucky and UConn, very similar because Tubby Smith's mm. title is very similar to Kevin. And I, I think Tubby Smith is definitely better than Kevin Ollie. Oh, yeah. He's clearly better than Kevin Ollie. He's had clearly had more success. But Tubby, he's not a, but Tubby Smith is not a great coach. So Tubby Smith's title and uh, Kevin Ollie's championship are a little bit similar because they were arguably somebody else's team. Yeah, no, that's a good point. They were, they were, you know, Toby. Yeah, yeah. I like Toby. I thought he did a good job. They gave him such a raw deal at Memphis. That was that was ridiculous. They ran him out of town. Um, but yeah, you know, they definitely had some more runs. But yeah, and I think you know, North Carolina having that Kansas, you know, um, North Carolina, Kentucky, like the, those are three blue buds. Like I think UConn's got to be right there. I'm like, you know, you talk about it. They had so many heartbreaking losses back in the '90s. You know, know, again, the crazy thing is, did you ever think Bob Hurley would be cheering? Do, he was doing the UConn channel. Like, that that's something you never would have ever thought. I know. That was looking at the, the, look at the schools that he that his sons played for. Duke, who was a rival of UConn's. And then Seton Hall, who was a rival of UConn's in the Big East. Yeah. 
yeah you know it's 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 crazy but yeah you know so like it's you know it's crazy but yeah like you kind of just they, they you know they, they've been great since the 90s and i think it shows that you know any coach could kind of come in here and be able to win a championship and you know you kind of have the resources they've proven that they are a basketball school and they you know basketball is number one here you know it always has and it should always matter first but yeah. look you know they, they should be considered a blue blood right there with the rest of those guys and I hate the excuse that UConn fans don't understand that basketball played for the '90s. I yeah, we we understand that, but since then, UConn's been one of the most dominated programs, especially since '99. Yes, they've had their downfalls at times, but when we get in the March, we usually have the guards that could go on a run, and it and it shows being the Big East because the Big East it's a it's a basketball conference, you know. And people try to consider Nova, and I and I get consider Nova, but how do you consider Nova but not UConn? Like I understand, exactly. they, yes. Nova didn't win a national title since 2000. I know Nova won. No, Nova won that title in 85. I get it, but they have they weren't consistently as good as UConn until Jay until Jay Wright got there. When Jay Wright got there, Mm -hmm. that's when they started to develop consistency. Because there was a time between Rowley and Jay Wright where they were a very inconsistent program. But obviously, when Jay Wright got or Jay Wright got there, they won a couple national titles. But 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 yeah, they were very inconsistent from uh from like you know 1993 to 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 2000 and like. 2005 they were very inconsistent yeah yeah they were you know they had a couple down years you know they had some pretty good teams back then but yeah you know so jay wright roley were there um yeah you know nova's you know one of the best programs and yeah you know since i know they struggled this year but i think neptune's gonna kind of figure it out there and nova's gonna be back you know not to the extent they were under right but yeah like i think nova's would be fine so yeah you know you consider nova a blue bow which is fine you gotta consider uconn and i just think you know I was surprised Beheim and, and and Coach K kind of said they were both blue bloods. I know we yeah. took two away from K. So I know damn, exactly. If nice. Coach K is gonna say that they're a blue blood, he's definitely saying they're a blue blood. And if Beheim says it, they are a blue blood. Yeah, yeah. So like I, you know, I kind of think it's ridiculous that people say we we're not, but we got five. We got more than Kansas. Kansas only has four, remember? Yeah. You know, like that's the thing. And Kansas, Kansas never really had a downfall. You know, like yep. they've been really consistent since the beginning of time. So, yep. you know, them in Kentucky, I think, are like, they're really only two that have been. But yeah, you know, I, I with the job that Calhoun did here, um, to put this little, you know, that little place stores Connecticut on the map, um, they, this they, they should be absolutely considered a, a blue blood. It's ridiculous that some don't. So, and if you've ever been to Stores Connecticut, <laughs> you will realize how amazing of a job Jim Calhoun did to put yeah. this program on the map. I mean, this that is a it is a farm town in eastern Connecticut, and he and he got kids to play here, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And that's why when you were hearing his voice during this tournament saying yeah. you got something special going, you guys are one of one. When you heard him talk to the team and you heard him as, and you saw him as into this as he was you knew this team was in really good shape. When Calhoun can respect you, seeing what he's built here, when you get the respect to Calhoun, you know things are going well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was very involved. I know he he was, he was wasn't he was under the weather this weekend, so I think he left Sunday. So he wasn't there Monday, unfortunately. But there was a picture of him yesterday having a conversation with Hurley when they got back to campus. So, you know, it seems like he's doing well. Um, but, yeah, you know, Calhoun was around, which, which is great to have. And, you know, a lot of those kids understand that the role that Calhoun played here and just how important a figure he is. And yeah, you know, it, it, it was awesome to have him. And yeah, when Calhoun was saying those speeches there, you know, talking to the team, you know, yeah, you know, that guy knows what he's talking about. And um, yeah, to just have that voice too, the, for a guy that kind of has meant so much to the program to kind of have, you know, this team's back, I think kind of meant a lot. And again, you know, a ton of former guys were there. Like I know, Hawkins said, I think he talked to Rip in the offseason. You know, he yeah. met Ray in January. Like, I think, yes. you know, having all these former guys around the program and, you know, I think really helps some of these guys, you know, that want to make the NBA and kind of understand that, you know, Rip and Ray Allen are, you know, two of the best shooting guards, you know, in recent memory. So, yeah, you know, it's – I think the kids, you know, really appreciate that those guys kind of come out and, you know – support them and come back to campus. I know, I know a lot of them work out back, you know, in the summer, they'll come back and then, you know, work out, work out at uh, stores. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's nice to see again that everybody's buying into the program. It's nice to see because five years ago before Hurley yeah. came, you didn't see this. Now you're seeing everyone buying in and it's great to see it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I said at the beginning, I didn't think, you know, I didn't, 
think we'd ever get back here. I, I really didn't. They were they were finished ninth that year in the American. They got bounced by SMU. I remember that Nova team coming to XL Center that January. And they were now 22 at the half. They got they caught to 16 within two minutes, and people were doing the UConn chant. I was that was the lowest point for me during that stretch. I just felt like we're down 16 still. And that Nova team, you knew that they had no chance of coming back. I was just like, we're happy down 16 at Nova. Like, what has happened to us? And that was four yeah. years removed from a national championship. Yeah. You know, it's just exactly. crazy. But you know, actually, the the last last thing is, you know, when we're talking about foreign play, the guys who were here that began under Ollie, I mean. We're here beginning at Hurley's tenure at the end of Ollie that stuck around that kind of helped, you know, they, they helped build this foundation for this team. And yeah, like you the know, guys the like, the world, like the Poly. Whaley, Vital, Vital, uh, absolutely. Vital, uh, wasn't was Polly, 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 Polly. Yep. Yeah. I'd even put Bulk Knight in that, you know, kind of building what this team's become. Like a lot of those former guys deserve a lot of credit that yeah. stuck around during the bad times and kind of helped put this thing back on the map. So, you know, a lot, you know, because we talked about former players, you know, th- those guys should get a nod as well. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Just, just, just a great, great run for the UConn Huskies, and there's a lot of th- there's a lot of great things to come for this team. But we got a, the Lakers have a huge game tonight. They've been play, they've been red hot, and and uh, they're very, very close to to avoiding the playing tournament. But before we talk about the Lakers, we're going to hear from our friends at JPEG Financial and Shamrock Home Inspection. Do you have a 401k and some savings for future retirement? but don't even know if it's enough to live off of? How much is enough? How often are you thinking about it? The team at JPEX Financial Group can help set your mind at ease. We specialize in creating strategies in the planning and managing of your financial, educational, and investment needs. We help clients pursue their investment goals with sound financial strategies. You deserve a personal, tailored plan. Lasting, meaningful, and open relationships are the foundation of our practice. You've worked hard for your money and should feel confident in your investment choices as you make decisions for your financial future. Your goals are our goals. We are dedicated to your needs and hopes for your future. Visit our website and give us a call at 860-430-5397. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. JPEX Financial Group, LLC is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. JPEX Financial Group is located at 78 Eastern Boulevard, Glastonbury, Connecticut. There's no bigger investment than home ownership. And to make sure the house is up to your standards, you need a professional to look it over. Brian Flanagan from Shamrock Home Inspections is a licensed home inspector and a member of the Connecticut Association of Home Inspectors. Brian was a contractor for over 15 years, so he knows how homes should be constructed and how mechanicals should work. What makes me a good home inspector was the 20 years that I was a home improvement person doing all the different repairs that I have done and what other people have done wrong that I had to go out and fix. So I have a pretty quick eye on seeing what's right and what's wrong. Before you move, call Shamrock Home Inspections. Before you make the biggest investment of your life, call Brian Flanagan from Shamrock Home Inspections at 860-268-2566 or visit shamrockhomeinspectionct.com. They're trying to avoid the plan tournament right now. They're currently, I think, in sixth or seventh, but they have a humongous game tonight with the, with the Clippers. It's a humongous game. Let me tell you something. AD and LeBron got to play in this game. I, if they're sitting out this game, they, 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 they lose this game. I don't think they're going to get into the play. I think they're going to have to play in the play-in tournament, and then they got a very, very difficult time getting to where they want to go to. So I don't want to hear about the back-to-backs with AD. AD has got to be on the court tonight, and so is LeBron. Those two guys got to be on the court tonight because I will be, I will, I will be ripping those two guys if they're not playing in a game like this. This is, this is the biggest game of their season. This game could dictate what happens to them in the playoffs. They got to be playing tonight, and they need this win. For me to think they're going to make the, they're going to make the, they're going to get in the top six. They need this win. I understand they want to avoid the number five seed. I understand they don't want to play the Suns in the first round. But if you look at team, every team that has made has played in the play-in tournament hasn't gotten out of the first round. So I know you want to avoid the Suns, but the best chance you are going to have to get to the NBA Finals and win another for and for LeBron to win another championship is to is to get into the top six. So there there is no way LeBron and AD should not be playing tonight. Yeah, especially the way AD has been playing really well lately. So 
yeah, for those two, those two definitely got to be on the floor tonight. Um, yeah, it's a big game. You're playing the Clippers, who, yeah, you're tied with right now, you know, in that six, seven spot. And yeah, it's a huge one because, um, you know, if you're right there at the Warriors, the Pelicans tonight play the Grizzlies, that'll be a tough one for them. But, you know, they, they didn't play well last night against Sacramento. Um, but yeah, the, the Lakers, they definitely need LeBron AD the way, especially the way Anthony Davis has been playing. He, he's been, you know, I'll give him a lot of credit. He's been playing really, really well lately. They need him on the floor tonight. You know, LeBron as well. You know, it, it I know, yeah, I know it's a back to back, but it's such a big game. Um, and yeah, I, I know everybody wants to avoid the Suns at the, at that, you know, playing in that five seed spot. But yeah, the way they, the way the Lakers been playing, I think they got a really good shot to finish fifth or sixth. But yeah, it it'll be tough out if AD and LeBron don't play tonight. It'll be tough to get into that spot. But the way those two have been playing, I, I think you give it a go tonight because yeah, as you mentioned, you're not you lose, you play in the play in. Yeah, it's it's tough to get out of that that round or out of the first round. So. I think those those two definitely have to be on the floor tonight, and, and um, and that gives that best, and that will give them them the best shot to um, you know, win the game tonight. So, yeah, you know, with with the Lakers as because they're they're probably because you know they're not a great three point shooting team, so you know um, they gotta you know they they really need Anthony Davis inside to um to help that team out, help the Lakers out, and gives them the best chance to win. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And let me tell you something. If you look, if you look at the schedule for the three teams, the Clippers, uh, Golden State, and the Lakers, if the Lakers lose tonight, it's going to be very hard for them to get in because you look at the last two games for Golden State. They got Portland at their in their last game, but they should win. Dave's not playing. And then they got the Kings at the Kings. I think they win that game because the Kings got everything, pretty much everything locked up. They already won the Pacific Division. They're probably going to be the number three seed. So I think they're going to they're win their next two games. They're going to finish 44 and 38. The, uh, the, the, and and say, the, say the Lakers lose to the Clippers – the, the, the Clippers have Portland and then Phoenix, and they got the tiebreaker on the Lakers. Let me tell you something. If the Lakers don't win tonight, I don't think they're getting into the top six uh, of the playoffs, and I, and I don't think they're making a run. I don't think they're making a championship run. I think this game is humongous tonight. It's a must-win game for the Lakers. They have to win this game tonight. Yeah, they absolutely do. They, they, it, it is totally must-win um, because, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be an up, uphill battle because, yeah, you got the Suns and the Jazz still, but – you know, the Suns are locked there in the four, but yeah, I, I expect KD to kind of continue to play and continue to kind of gain some chemistry with these guys. So, you know, the you know, Phoenix ain't going to take it easy on you. And the Jazz have kind of been a tough out all year. Like, you know, they're not great, but, you know, they continue to play hard every night. So, you know, yeah, those aren't going to be two easy games for them. Um, so, yeah, the Lakers, they, they got to win tonight to kind of avoid that. And yeah, they'll definitely be in trouble. Um, they go down tonight with a loss. Now the big question is: Is are the Lakers going to avoid playing in the play-in tournament? And I th- and I think no, because I don't think they win tonight. I can't trust the fact that AD and LeBron are that AD is going to play. I just can't trust the fact that AD is going to play. So I think they lose tonight, and I think the Clippers win out. And I think that the uh, looking at their schedule with Portland and then Phoenix uh, has pretty much everything wrapped up. And I think the Golden State, uh, I think Golden State wins out. So I think Golden State and the Clippers get get the five and the six seeds. And I think the Lakers are, are, are going to finish in the seven, in the seven spot, I, I seven or eight spot. I don't think the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers avoid it. I but if but it's all going to come down tonight. If they win tonight, I think they avoid it and they get into the top six. But if they lose tonight, I don't think so. So I I, I think that uh, I, I, right now personally, I don't think they avoid the playing tournament. But if they win tonight, I think they do. Yeah, I'm with you. If they win tonight, they're in. I think if AD plays tonight, I think they win. If, if I'm with you, but if not, I think they lose. I don't think they get in. Um, and yeah, that'll that that'll be the big issue. I know with the Warriors, the Kings, I know still have an outside chance to get the two. If they win tonight in the in the Grizzlies lose the Pelicans tonight, the Kings are one game back and they have the tiebreaker. But if they if if both teams kind of win and the Kings lose tonight, Grizzlies win, then yeah, I don't think the Kings play for anything much Friday night. But so there's still an outside chance that the King can get the two seed. But yeah, I think it's very unlikely. Um, but so yeah, give you know. We might give the Warriors a game Friday night, depending. But, you know, anyways, I think Lakers, AD plays tonight. I think they win. I think they get out of that that playing around. But, yeah, if he doesn't play tonight, I think the Clippers take him down and the Warriors and Clippers stay at five and six. Yeah, huge game tonight between the Lakers and Clippers. But now we'll transition to the Mavs. And right now the Mavs have been playing absolutely terribly. But the thing is, is the, thun- the Thunder are not playing well either. They're doing everything they can to give up the 10 seed. It's like the 10 seed that nobody wants mm. right now. 
But the big question is, is can the Mavs avoid the play-in tournament? That's the big question. And for me, I don't think they do. I think they're playing so poorly. I think this match between Kyrie and uh, Luka has been terrible. But everything with Kyrie has been a disaster ever since he uh, ever since he left LeBron. I mean, this guy, there's no, this guy does not make teams better. He makes every team he goes on. He's, I'm not arguing his talent. He's one of the most talented players in the game. But he makes every team worse, and people need to start mentioning that. Every team he's on, he makes them worse. It, it all started in it's in with Cleveland when he didn't want to play with LeBron. Then Boston, you saw him hold Tatum and Brown back. You saw what happened with the Nets. I'm telling you, there is no way that, that, that if, if the Mavs don't make the play-in tournament, there's no way the Mavs should give this guy a contract. There, there, there's no way that should happen. I mean, he's uh, Kyrie, just, just what he does. He destroys teams. He destroys chemistry. He makes things toxic, and he's done that. With, with with the Mavs, and I think I think OKC because they have something to play for. I think they beat Utah and Memphis. Now I wouldn't be surprised if the Mavericks did get the 10 seed because OKC is not playing well either. But but the way the Mavs are playing, I don't think they get into the playing. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, because you mentioned Kyrie's been a total disaster. So since they acquired Kyrie, they're eight and sixteen, and when Kyrie's in the lineup, they're seven and twelve. Like it just that just kind of proves it. There's no depth to this team. And I was reading yesterday that it sounds like the Mavs are going to resign Kyrie Irving. It, it sounds like that's going to happen. I totally disagree with that. I, with you, I don't get it. I, if I'm Luca, I want out. Then I, yeah. I'm demanding a trade. I'm getting out of there. Yeah. I'm getting out of there, and I and I want to go to Denver to go play with Jokic. I want to go try to win a championship. This is ridiculous. That organization wants to resign Kyrie Irving. If I'm Luka Doncic, I'm getting out of there immediately. Yeah. Did you hear what he said? Was it yesterday or Sunday? He said, I miss playing with uh, Jalen Brunson. Maybe he'll force him in That might have been a mistake. That might have been a mistake. I thought that Brunson wasn't a good enough two to get the Mavs over the hump looking at the conference finals last year when they lost lost the Warriors and really the Warriors were clearly the better team. But now you start to realize the Warriors were clearly better than everybody in the West last Mm -hmm. year. So maybe that'll end up being a mistake because Brunson's had a really good year with the Knicks. Yeah, he absolutely will. You know, maybe maybe he has to go play with Brunson in New York. You know, maybe... He goes join joins uh join forces there. I know that you know for uh, with the Knicks, but yeah, I just I, I don't this team just doesn't you know that the Luca comments we talked about last week. It just doesn't seem like he enjoys playing with Kyrie. Why is that going to change? I I don't. Again, yes, they could beat the Kings tonight. They the first two the last two times they played the you know um you know a couple months ago right when they you know acquired Kyrie they played well those two nights. But yeah, I just. I don't see it the way they've been playing. They don't have much depth, so I just, I, I just don't think these these those two like playing with each other. And I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's. Um, and with three games left, I don't think that's gonna change now. Why? You know, why would it really change now? I just, I don't. And yeah, Kyrie's just been a toxic mess wherever he goes to, and that's been the big issue. And as you mentioned, it's disappointing because yeah, he's got so much talent, but. He's just stuck in his own ways and his head, and it just—it's ruined his—it's ruined his career, big yeah, time. And exactly. you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate yeah, it's for unfortunate him. Cause, yeah, because he was one of the most talented players I've seen. He hit one of the biggest shots in the history of the NBA. And look at yeah. uh, ever since that shot, look at where, where his career has gone—completely downhill. It's sad. It's sad. He got was a number one overall pick, and it's just—it's 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 just sad. And and I don't think it's ever going to get better. That's why there's no way if the Mavs want to compete for a championship, there's no way you should have that guy in your locker room. And but it looks like the Mavs are going to make a mistake. So if I'm Luca, I want out of here. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't blame you. And yeah, if I was the Mavs with that money, I would go find Luca no, a number two that he wants to play with, or a bunch of depth guys, or a bunch of guys that aren't number twos, but a bunch of guys are, that are good enough around that could kind of help do do enough to help you know Luca maybe get to that next step so yeah I'm with you I would not spend the money that they're going to spend on Kyrie to uh to bring him back I just think that'd be a giant mistake for that organization it absolutely would so last night the Celtics were still competing for the number one seed but Joel Embiid had a humongous night scored 50 points and the big question right now is is Embiid the clear favorite for MVP and I'm and Doc Rivers said after the game if the race should be over and I agree I think he should be the MVP I know that doesn't mean you're the best player in the game I know, I know that I know it's a regular season award. So if it's a regular season award, I think I know I would I know I would take guys over MB. I'd take Jokic over MB. I'd take Giannis over MB. I'd probably still take Steph over MB. I'd probably still take KD over MB. You could argue MB's not even top five, but he's been so dominant in the this year. He's averaging 33 points a game. He's he's close to what Shaq and Will have done. He's been as dominant as that. Now the big question is, can you win a championship with him being your best player? That's the big question. But 
he's been so dominant that and in the MVP is a regular season award that to me, he is the MVP. He should be the clear favorite. I still go with Julgic. I know Embiid's been nasty, you know, and I, I get that. And I think, there, yeah, there's definitely maybe some voter fatigue with, with uh, Jokic. But the guy is just such a special player. I know he doesn't average 33 like Embiid does. But, again, the guy's kind of plays a point guard. The guy, I know he's not – he, you know, just averages 10 assists a game. He averages 12 rebounds. Uh, he's such a special player. And, like, the Nuggets, you know, have been – clearly the best team in the regular season all year long and he's been a huge part of that and even last year when you know murray was out they had all those injuries um now he was still unbelievable all year and beats had a really good year but then i also and the other one is too like he didn't play a couple weeks ago against um they when they played the nuggets you know know, it was a little management day it's like why maybe i would have voted for him if he played that game i just play that game like like play against joker you know it, it so I got to I, I got to take Jokic still over him. I and had a great year, nothing to take away from him, but I'll I I still like Jokic to win the MVP. Yeah, and I know that there's I think voter fatigue is an issue with with Jokic because Jokic does make players around him better. And the only reason they went one and done in those playoffs is because they hadn't they didn't have Mario, they didn't have Michael Porter Jr. in either of those playoff series the last two years. And last year he played the Warriors, which they pretty much played the best yeah. team in the Western Conference. So. Yeah, I think I think it definitely is. Or no, no, they did. They did. Uh, the, my bad. They did win a playoff series against Portland. Yeah, but but the reason they haven't had as much he hasn't had as much success in the success in the playoffs is he hasn't had his guys around him. Now he's got his guys around him. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on him in the postseason, especially if they get the Suns or the Warriors in the second round. There's a ton of pressure on him to get to the finals and, and win a championship this year. But I think I do think Embiid. Uh, I do I do think Jokic does do a better job of making guys around him better. But the MVP is a regular season award, and I think that there's voter fatigue. That's why I think I think they're going to give it to Embiid. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, the voter fatigue is a big one. Yeah, the way Embiid's kind of been playing, he's 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 a dominant force. Boy, he had 52 last night. Like again, that's you know, at such a dominant performance. I I just like part of me too is I well because I'm not a big fan of the low management thing. It's like if he went up against Jokic last week or two weeks ago, whenever they played, and again he played really well and he put up like 30. 20 and it's something like that i i would take and beat over him but you know i just i just i i, I kind of i just can't because of that there's such a big part to me i just i am not big in the load management stuff and i you know in a spot like that where you're going up against a guy that's won the last two mvps play the game go up against him you know that to me i i that's kind of where i am and, and why i still kind of go with no you know joker joker yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting race between those two for whoever wins the MVP. But we'll talk about the sixth seed in the East and who's going to get it, the Nets or the Heat. And let me tell you, if if you're if you're like the number two seed, the Celtics, you definitely want to get a rematch with the Nets because you're facing a team that traded Kevin Durant. You're basically facing a team in a rebuild. The only reason they're even in the probably in the playoffs this team is because they had Kevin Durant for most of the season. If they didn't have if they didn't have KD, this team wouldn't even be in the playoffs. So, but looking at what the teams have left, I mean, they the Nets have Detroit, Orlando, and Philly in a game that probably won't matter. And then you look at the Heat; they got Philly uh, at Philly, Washington, Orlando. I do think the Nets, even with the one game lead and the tiebreaker, I think they get the number six seed, and that's going to be and the Sixers are going to get lucky because they're going to get a, a Nets team that that is that is is not definitely not as good as the Heat. And 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 say the Heat win the play win that game on Tuesday and play the Celtics. I think this definitely could, could determine that second round series because I think whoever gets that two seed is going to definitely have a tougher first-round series, uh, assuming the Heat get the seven. That's going to be a tougher first-round series than the, than the three seed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, especially the way that he gave the Celtics a run for the money last year and took a lot out of them in that series in the conference finals. So, yeah, absolutely. I think if you're the Celtics, yeah, you much, you know, you much rather see the see the Nets than the um, than the Heat. But yeah, you know, I, I'm with you. I think the Nets find a way to get that six seed because. You know, their schedule, yeah, with the Pistons coming up and the Magic. I know they got the Sixers, but the Sixers pretty much locked in for that three spot. So, you know, I, I just – I can't – you know, I, I you know, and, and with the Heat, I know they still got, like, the Wizards and Magic as well, but um, I, I think the Nets find a way to hold on, finish out, get that sixth spot somehow. And, um, you know, and, yeah, I know the Celtics will be a little bit disappointed that – they're probably going to have to face the Heat in this first round, which, yeah, will make things um, very difficult very difficult first-round matchup. But, yeah, I don't see the the, um, the Nets, even for kind of the talent. I know they shut down Ben Simmons, but 
I don't see them losing that six spot as well. Yeah, not at all, not at all, not at all, not at all. But it looks like it'll be an easy series for the Sixers when they play in the playoffs. But we got to wrap. We're going to wrap up this show talking about Mac Jones and the Patriots. And there were rumors that uh, Bill Belichick was shopping Mac Jones around, according to Mike Florio. There were rumors that, that he was shopping Mac Jones around. And the big question is: is would you trade Mac Jones in the 14th pick for Lamar Jackson? I think this is an obvious one. Absolutely. I don't know why. If they, if they don't want Mac Jones, if Bill Belichick wants to trade Mac Jones, I don't get why he wouldn't want to clear upgrade a quarterback in Lamar Jackson. I don't understand that. I think you absolutely trade the 14th pick in the draft and Mac Jones for Lamar Jackson. I think it's pretty obvious that you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you would have to, but um, yeah, because it's a clear upgrade at quarterback. It's it will definitely be, you know, but you know, because for me, and I, and they popped up on my phone a little bit ago. Um, the yeah, notification was from the athletic. It was, you know, the, it was NFL exec saying that the Patriots aren't shopping Mac Jones. Cause like, I didn't totally buy the Florio report. Cause like in my theory, it just doesn't make sense for bill. Cause why would bill, unless if bill thinks that Mac Jones stinks, why would he trade him on a friend team friendly deal? That's the only thing. That's not a bill thing to do. That's the only thing I kind of, why I kind of hesitated on that report, but look, if, if, if it would happen and yes, they could get Lamar for Mac in a four, three, four, overall pick i would absolutely take it i like mac i hope that he figures out i hope bill o'brien come in there and you know it, you know they could find a way to kind of help you know improve mac jones but yeah if you have a shot for lamar you know you, you it, it makes you right then and there back kind of being a super bowl contender and again i love mac but he's not going to bring us to a super bowl this year so yeah i would think you'd have to go lamar jackson yeah, it's, it's it's the difference between hoping you have a guy and knowing you have a guy. I think it's pretty obvious if they were quarter, if they were if these reports were true, they were shopping Mac Jones around. You have a guy in Lamar Jackson. I know you got to pay him a ton of money, but you have a guy for the next decade who's going to be your quarterback. I, I, it would make a lot of sense to just trade Mac Jones in that first round pick for him. Yeah, no, it absolutely would. It, it, it would because yeah, you you bring in a guy that yeah has won an MVP. Um, he's a guy that you know. We've seen in Baltimore not have the great greatest wide receiver weapons either, and that really hasn't bothered them. Now it helps that you know there's no Mark Andrews on this team, but you know there's you know, but yeah, you know it it, it would do- definitely be an upgrade, and yeah, you know that's you know that that that's the thing. It would definitely be where yeah, Mac, you're still kind of hoping you're still trying to because this is the make or break year for Mac. Like this is kind of the year where you figure it out if he's the guy or not moving forward. And yeah, you already know in Lamar that he could be the guy. And yeah, you can have him for the next decade. You take that chance and, and you bring him in. Yes. And the, and, the, and the next one is, would you trade Mac for a top 10 pick? So like try to get maybe trade with the Colts or the Falcons to get like a, to get one of the quarterbacks, the, the top four quarterbacks. And I'd say absolutely not because the problem is, is the two, the top two guys, the two sure the two things that are the, the, the that are the close to a sure thing in this draft, Stroud and uh, and and Young are probably are going to go to the Panthers and the Texans. So you would be stuck with Levis, who was very up and down his pro day, and Richardson, which is a project. So then you're pretty much just resetting the clock if if you draft one of those two guys. So I would say absolutely not. I would not trade Mac for a top ten pick. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I wouldn't either. Yeah, I, I yeah, you're just you're you're starting over again. Again, we've talked about the offensive issues, like why. Why force a rookie into that spot where we saw Mac do okay with it, but you don't know if a Will Levis or Anthony Richardson is going to be, you know, we don't know if, you know, I don't expect those two to put us in a playoff in, a, in, in the, in the rookie year. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would not trade the top 10 pick for Mac Jones to go get another rookie quarterback. It, that one, no, um, it just would not make much sense. Absolutely. 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 Definitely would not. But that's going to wrap up uh, this edition of Sports Talk with R&J. For Justin Anafrio, I'm Steve Risser. We will be back, though, in five minutes talking about the Yankees, the first week of the Yankees and Red Sox seasons, and if the pitch clock and the new rules are good for baseball. So make sure you tune in for that. Jones on first down, wide open, it's Barkley. And Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley... He's great when he's on the field, but the problem is, since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. Look at this. They lob it to him. He taps it in off the glass. How about that? 
Porter Moser, I think right now, is the best coach of college basketball, hands down. Finch, two for three, he's done his part. Finch is drilled to deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball, because the Yankees are not, they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the Rays, and the Rays do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. My name is Joe McGuire. I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group. And here at CMG, we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Men. And great true crime shows like Sticky Meek, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Burn, The Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. You can find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com. 